Good morning, America. You are listening to Percolating Perspective, the podcast that offers you some perspective on America. I'm your host, Gordon Michael Porter. Today on Percolating Perspective, we hop into the seat of raw power, green enamel, and drag a forged steel disc through American soil to find where the inventive and resourceful soul of America is buried. Just before dawn's early light, the familiar crow of a rooster perched on the white picket fence in the front yard gently wakes an Iowa farmer to the smell of fresh eggs, bacon, warm biscuits, and fresh-turned soil. Rising from bed, he handles his normal pre-breakfast routine, which includes donning his faded long-sleeved plaid shirt, his worn and loose-fitting Liberty overalls, and his Red Wing Brogan boots that were handmade over in Red Wing, Minnesota. He steps into the kitchen with the floorboard squeaking beneath his boots to eat his breakfast that his sweet wife has been preparing. He sits down to quickly chow down and to review the almanac. Across the kitchen, resting on a cast iron stove, is the highlight of the farmer's morning. He doesn't just like any old coffee, though. He likes a cup of American coffee from the oldest coffee company in the United States, 8 O'Clock Coffee Company. Now, while the farmer's morning starts well before 8 o'clock, the name doesn't bother him a bit. He fills his ceramic mug to the brim and drinks it to the dregs, sends it gently back on the hard pine wood kitchen table, and out the screen door and straight to the barn he goes to tend to God's creation. Today on Percolating Perspective, we're sipping on a cup from the oldest American coffee company in existence, 8 O'Clock Coffee. Founded in 1859 in Montvale, New Jersey, 8 O'Clock Coffee Company metal tins have actually become very collectible in the recent years, and it makes a really nice display piece for your kitchen. In fact, I have one myself uh, on my bookcase in my study. Just between you and me, though, I think the metal tin probably tastes as good or better than the coffee itself. Next week, we might try 9 o'clock coffee and see if that's any better. Uh, But, just for the sake of the show, yeah, I mean, it's, it is, uh, it is coffee, that's, that we know. All right, enough of that. The farmer, now with a full belly and plenty of caffeine coursing through the prominent veins in his leathery hands, quickly steps across the barnyard, carefully avoiding the piles of mainstream news coverage littering the ground, and opens the giant barn door and walks in. He grabs his straw hat off of a nail in the doorframe and hops into the seat of his brand new John Deere tractor. He pushes the button to engage the electric starter motor, and after a few seconds of the intense whine, The diesel engine pops off, putting out a white haze and the distinct mellow aroma of burnt diesel. After a few minutes to warm up the cantankerous diesel engine at idle, he pushes the cold steel throttle lever forward, bringing the RPMs up just a bit. He motors out of the barn doors and across the barnyard and over to the edge of his field where he left off the day before. He then pushes the throttle lever all the way forward, waking the cast iron beast, sending an intimidating roar echoing through the barnyard and belching out a cloud of black soot. He lowers the plow bottom into the sweet, rich soil of his Iowa potato field, gently lifts lifts his foot off of the clutch, 
and with a jerk, the beautiful green and yellow beast rolls forward, turning four rows of soil over at a time, lifting a sweet and acidic smell into the air, really kind of like molasses and vinegar. The farmer's brand new diesel tractor was built just a few miles up the road in Waterloo, Iowa, and it has been his pride and joy since it had been delivered to the farm. The engineers for John Deere had been painstaking in their design for their new diesel engine back in 1949, taking 14 years to reach a design they were proud of after International Harvester had released its first diesel engine called the Model WD-40 back in 1935. And much to my disappointment, no, it does not run on WD-40. If it did, I can only assume its bolts would have fallen off pretty quickly. The Model R, though, was the first diesel tractor that Deere & Company ever produced, and as was typical for the John Deere Farm Equipment Company, put all its competitors, including their most threatening, International Harvester, to shame. The John Deere Company, known for being first in class as it relates to quality, had held the title for the best row cropping tractor in the country with their trusty two-cylinder gas engine that would pull anything a 1930s farm would have to offer. You often uh, will hear of old tractors being uh, referred to, or old John Deere's in in particular, being referred to Johnny Poppers, and that is the name uh, given to them based off the sound they made, off of the two-cylinder diesel, the pop, 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 pop. In typical John Deere fashion, they were slow and intentional in their design, making sure that when they answered International Harvester, they would beat them right out of the market, and that they did. But this innovation and attention to detail is no stranger to Deere and Company. This attitude of invention and quality goes all the way back over a hundred years to 1837 in Moline, Illinois, where an already well-established blacksmith named John Deere had set up his shop. Deere had fled his home state of Vermont in 1836 to avoid the inevitable ramifications of bankruptcy, bankruptcy that he had brought himself to, and off to Grand Detour, Illinois, he went. Little more than a year later, John Deere set up his shop in Moline, Illinois, and began forging shovels and pitchforks and other farm equipment needed to make a living in the Illinois soil. But John noticed something was very, very different about the rich, sticky black Illinois soil as compared to the more dry soil back home in Vermont. John noticed that the soil here tended to stick to the cast iron or wooden plow ends that the farmers had been using there for over half a century. John studied and worked hard in his blacksmith shop to come up with a solution to this problem. And after a very few attempts, he had the idea to scrap a Scottish steel sawmill blade and cut the blade into a shape he thought would work best for a plow bottom. He then did something so simple, yet would change the world forever. John bent the plow in just slightly to give the plow end a curved, concave profile, which would allow the smooth steel to be what he would call self-scouring. No more needing to stop your horse every few rows to clean the rough cast iron or wooden plow bottom. You can now plow all day long in the rich, sticky Midwest soil and never need to stop to scour off the muck with a stick. The plow was an instant success, being sold left and right, but the deer ingenuity didn't stop there. The normal way of doing business in 1837 was to build products as ordered. However, 
Deere quickly discovered that the orders were coming in much faster than he could produce them, making long lead times. And in 2022-2023, we know about lead times. John then decided the way to handle this issue would be to ramp up production first and then manufacture the plow-ins before the orders came in and would sell them post-production. This created the first-ever storefront farm equipment dealership. People could now see what they were buying before deciding to purchase. And unknowingly, John Deere had tapped into the most successful salesman a company has. Human impulsivity. Sales shot through the roof as farmers could now not only see just how revolutionary of a design this was, but they could also see just how many of their neighbor farmers were stopping by Deere and Company to get their plow bottom. The case could arguably be made that John Deere, on accident, invented retail hardware and equipment stores that would later influence companies such as Sears and Roebuck, Tractor Supply Company, and Rural King. John Deere would soon, after, begin building wagons and planters and other farm equipment needed to make the farmer's life easier. These ideas, and hundreds more that still to this day come from Deere and Company, revolutionized the farming and agriculture industry. And around 2012, John Deere was among the first, if not the first, uh, tractor manufacturer who released a prototype GPS-guided self-driving tractor. This tractor, though an expensive prototype, could be linked to a manned tractor and would drive itself alongside, allowing a single man to do as much extra work as he could afford extra tractors. In 2023, this company started in an old workshop by a runaway bankruptcy case now brings in approximately $52 billion a year in gross revenue and employs over 82,000 people worldwide. What was it about John Deere that allowed him to revolutionize the world and continue to doing so, uh, doing so for now 200 years? Was John Deere an alien? Was John Deere some sort of clairvoyant, reading people's minds and discovering the secrets within? John Deere was special, no doubt. But John Deere was able to see what people wanted and needed and then provided that good to the public. That attitude and skill set can only flourish in a type of economy that we call capitalism. Today, capitalism is being railed upon by our socialist and communist friends as racist and murderous and having propensity to break, out, uh, break the back of the poor and propping up the rich. And really, this is laughable, given that the largest cause of death in the 20th century, by far, was not cancer, was not heart disease, and it wasn't guns. The largest cause of death in the 20th century was communism and socialism. Don't take my word for that. Do your own research. It's shocking the number of people killed at the hands of communism. Okay, Gordon, that is shocking. But why is capitalism so great? What makes it so much better than everything else? Well, I am overjoyed that you would ask such a deep question. It proves to me that you've been listening to this show and you are learning to question everything. To answer that, though, we must look at the definitions. Not to get boring here, but no, no case can be made without defining your terms. Communism and socialism, which is basically a vape pen version of communism, requires that the means of production are owned by the government. Well, what does that mean? That means that anything produced can only be produced by the government. For example, in 1995, 
Venezuela was the world's largest producer of oil, and they currently hold the biggest reserve of oil still. They were also, in 1995, the world's largest consumer of F-150 Ford pickups. You heard me right. Not the United States, but Venezuela. Then, in the year 2000, just five years later, Nicolas Maduro, a trade union leader, bus driver, and an evil maniac, as well as Hugo Chavez, president of Venezuela, also evil maniac, persuaded the good people of Venezuela to give the production of oil to the government meaning now the government owns the gas stations, the gas trucks, the oil drills, the pumps, and really and truthfully, the people who need it. Now the country with the largest oil reserve in the world has no usable oil, no gas, and has completely erased a standard of living, and now are forced to eat essentially zoo animals and house pets to survive, all while standing on top of the largest oil reserve in the world! Government does not innovate. Government does not invent. Government, as we've discussed before, was prescribed by God to defend your rights. Nothing more, nothing less. When government oversteps that, it royally screws things up. Socialism and communism silence people and force them to comply with arbitrary government standards because now that they own nothing, they have no choice. In other words, no freedom. Socialism and communism try to take human nature and change it into something it's not. Now, the other side of that coin, or if you're in a socialist country, the lack thereof, capitalism means the people own the means of production. This means that the oil companies, all their trucks and all their pumps, electric companies, car companies, hardware stores, so on and so forth, are owned by the individual or individual groups of people that have no attachment to the government in any way, shape, or form. And as we just talked about a few minutes ago, uh, what we saw with John Deere owning the means of production in Deere & Company, he was able to quickly respond to the market and give the people what they wanted. He was also able to provide people with something to make their lives easier. But why would he do that? Because he was free to take the means of production and help people while making money to do so. You see, capitalism doesn't try to take human nature, good or bad, meaning freedom or greedy, and make it force it or enforce it away and make it into something it's not. Capitalism takes human nature and uses it to the advantage of the people. John Deere needed money to survive and to eat. He looked at his neighbor and asked himself, "What can I make that would help him and make his life easier? What can I do or make that people would be willing to pay me to make?" John Deere was able to take his inventiveness his ingenuity, innovativeness, and bring it to the market uh, and give the market what it desired, a tool to make farming and providing for their families easier. John Deere, in a truly free market, was able to revolutionize the world for good. Now, to boil all this down, I encourage you and challenge you to talk to people and talk to those who get up every day and work hard to provide for their families. Then, take the initiative and see if you can come up with a solution to their problems like John Deere did. America needs the adventurous and the innovative. America needs people like you to help your neighbor through invention. And John Deere isn't the only one in American history to do this. There's hundreds of men and women through our history uh, that have done this. Many of them you've probably never even heard of. 
And just to take a few minutes here, you know, inventiveness, ingenuity, innovativeness, all these things that John John Deere had, you possess. I know a lot of people, they resort back to, well, I'm not innovative, I'm not creative, I'm not smart like you are. That's not true. You are smart like everybody else. Some people aren't. Most of them drive on Highway 98 in South Walton, but that's neither here nor there. We took all the innovation to put a blinker on a steering column, people. Anyway, everybody has that inventiveness inside of them, has creativity inside of them. And it might not be farm implements. In fact, that's probably very few people. But you have a sense of creativity in you. It's what you do with it that's important. And what I mean by that is take the time to develop a skill set. We used to have something in America called apprenticeship, and we still do. We have a, a, a apprenticeship with a capital A, which basically means that you are required to take a certain number of hours under a master, say, welder, uh, to graduate with a certain certificate. And that's fine, but true American apprenticeship, uh, and I think that apprenticeship really even extends back into uh, Great Britain, you know, 1600s, 1500s, but what apprenticeship really and truthfully means is that, for example, my son, I would have him at maybe age 13, 14, 15, start working with somebody who has mastered a skill set, like my neighbor, Jim Cosen, who is a welder, and he's a master welder. I would send my son to apprentice with him and learn from him. He would be a hand that would work for the man while I pay for my son's living expenses and everything else while he earns and learns a skill. He learns a trade, and he earns that skill. That is gone in the United States. We are now forced through some form of of structured education, which there's nothing wrong with structured education, but the problem is, is it deprives our, our citizenry of a skill. Unless you're privileged enough to go to a public high school that has, you know, some sort of vocational training attached to it, you're getting calculus, trigonometry, and the ability to do nothing. I would encourage you, if you're a grown adult, such as myself, or even if you are a grown adult with children that are getting ready to, uh, you know, need some sort of trade, you know, say if they're 14, 13, 14, 15 years old, allow them to... Apprentice with somebody for no money, and you just pay their living expenses. Benjamin Franklin did this. He was an apprentice. Uh, he was a printer and worked for it were for a printing press as an apprentice. And later, that went on to change the American Revolution. He was able to print things that directly affected the American Revolution. And had he not been able to do that because he did, was not an apprentice, who knows what would have happened? I encourage you to develop a skill set and and work with somebody, or even if that's watching, we've we got YouTube now. YouTube is such an incredible tool. You can teach yourself to do just about anything with YouTube. Learn how to fix a lawnmower engine, and then you know learn how to do that off YouTube. It's not it's not difficult. You can learn the basics of how internal combustion works pretty quickly. And by learning the basics, you can you can fix most problems with a with a, a lawnmower engine pretty quickly. But once you learn to do that, then start to innovate. How can I make this work better? What's a problem that it has? A systematic problem that I can resolve with with some piece or some you know some means that I can make it work better. 
You know, if, if you're a welder, what's something that you can build or make to make people's lives easier like John Deere did? You can do it. America, you still have that creativity and inventiveness inside of you. But it's it's all but cast aside by the public school system, in my opinion. I mean, really and truthfully, when's the last time you've heard of somebody inventing something in the United States? And before you say the latest iPhone, <laughs> Apple hasn't invented anything since Steve Jobs died. They have improved on what they have, and even that's arguable. But when's the last, thing, last time something was actually invented from nothing? The computer was invented in, I believe, the 1950s, and since then, we've just been innovating and building on that. I think probably maybe the microwave was the latest thing actually invented from nothing. And people say, well, that was done by the government. That was done by NASA. No. It was contracted by the government, but a private company was uh, invented the microwave to help the government. The government does not invent anything. They have no money. They have no property. It's your money and it's your property. America, I love you. Look for, way, look for ways that you can help your fellow man and make their life easier. Find ways using knowledge and skills that you do have or are going to start developing now that we've had this conversation to work smarter. Be a problem solver. John Deere was only able to change the world with freedom and a truly free market capitalist system. Do not let your government in the United States or otherwise, whether that's global government or national government or state government, do not let them take that freedom and free market capitalist system from you. Until next week, America, I love you. God save America.